everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. I've heard that you guys aren't super interactive. It's like kind of like you got to get woken up and then really get going. Um, this morning, it's exciting, so this should give you a little bit of energy. We're talking about lust, right? Uh, lust is a, a big topic in everyone's lives, but specifically uh, with teenagers, you kind of see it brewing and uh, you know, blossoming all around, if I can even use those terms with the term lust. Uh, but there's two terms we're going to kind of be using synonymous this morning. Uh, one of those is desire, right? And then one of those is lust. So I'm going to kind of give a, a definition between those two. We're going to look at some scripture to really help us understand what exactly lust is when we are talking about it. So uh, this morning I want to do a little bit of an activity with you guys if we can. Uh, so if I were to say, based on your desires, if I said you could have any car that you would want right now, what car would you say? Anybody, what car would you want? A gray orange Jeep? Bright orange. That makes more sense. Gray and orange would be interesting, right? Uh, what would you say? A Bronco. a Bronco. Like the new Bronco or the old Bronco? The new Bronco. Okay, she's a new Bronco. What do you got? A red Camaro. Okay, that's awesome. So we got some desires for cars that we could have. What about if I said you can have any food that you want for lunch today? What are you going with? Any food. El Fagan? Is that what I heard? Okay. What else? Any food. What would you say? Steak. Okay, is that like, do you have a, a specific restaurant on that? No? Lobster. Lobster. Okay, we, guys, we got some bougie taste in here. You got steak and lobster. Like, no. Usually on Sunday, the thing that I get the most is Chick-fil-A, right? Because you can't have it on Sunday, and everyone's like, oh, I want Chick-fil-A. But it's closed, right? Uh, so there's food. What about dessert? If you could have any dessert that you wanted this afternoon, what would it be? Anything in the world. Cheesecake, I heard cheesecake, what else? Cheesecake, we got a lot of cheesecake lovers from the girls. What about you guys, what do you, what do you like? Nobody, you guys don't like desserts? Peach pie. Peach pie. You might be a 90-year-old woman, but that's awesome. <laughs> peach pie, I love it, peach pie. A little a la mode, a scoop of ice cream on top, or just straight up peach pie? Either way, Either way. okay, peach pie, all right. I'm coming, I, I got to see what peach pie you've had because I've never been like, if I could have one dessert, it's peach pie. So either your mom or your grandma or someone makes some amazing pie. All right, we got to put this to the test. Uh, but those are desires, right? Those are, are things that are not bad in and of themselves. They're just desires that we have. So when we talk about lust this morning, lust can refer uh, to a desire for a variety of things, but the primary form we're going to talk about this morning is lust, or is lust in the term of sexual desire, right? So we're going to kind of look at this word desire and lust a little bit more and flush it out. So if you guys have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, and we're going to go through 30. I think we have it up on the screen too. It says, uh, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intention has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of the members than your whole body go into hell. So specifically here, what we see is Jesus, right, coming and talking about this, this lustful, right, this, this, this desire that is present there, right? There's a, a word here that's actually interchangeable. It says, uh, when it says lustful intent, this is actually a word that's used for, for desire, right? It's used also when Jesus in Luke chapter, I think, uh, 19 maybe? Uh, don't quote me on the chapter, but uh, when he's sitting down at the table for the Passover, literally as he's getting ready to be put on the cross, he says, I have eagerly desired to eat this, this dinner, this supper with you. Why? Because he knew what was coming, right? He knew the cross was coming, and he had been looking forward to that day. So this word, right, this desire isn't necessarily a bad thing, but when we talk about desire, we're talking about a desire that is devoid of God, right? It's a sexual desire that dishonors its objects, and it disregards God. And do you guys think that that's a big deal? Like, that's a huge deal, right? Like, let's go look back at this passage that we're looking at here, right? Jesus is telling that, that if we have this lustful intent within our hearts, right, that we've committed adultery, and he's not being figure, or like literal there necessarily, but what he wants us to understand here is the severity in which we are intended to fight lust within our lives, right? He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better to lose one of the members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Like that's, that's some pretty like severe language that's taking place there, right? Like Jesus is, is trying to grip the attention of you know, the audience that's present there at the Sermon on the Mount, and even us today, some 2,000 years later, he wants us to understand what's at stake here, right? He wants us to understand the severity of the conversation that is taking place right here. He says, if your eyes cause you to sin, gouge them out, right? For it is better for your eyes to be gouged out than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. He goes on to say, If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members than your whole body go into hell. So we see two specific examples there with Jesus using what is extreme language, right? If your eyes cause you to sin, gouge them out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, Jesus isn't being literal here, telling us to cut, off our, cut out our eyes and gouge out our hands, because if we're being honest, uh, probably every single person in this room uh, would be blind and uh, not have any hands, right? Because we, we find ourselves lusting in a regular pattern within our lives. There's actually a... a, a, a dude in history who took this passage literal, and he gouged out his eyes. He was a monk, right? And he gouged out his eyes because he thought that the lust would go away. But do you know what he found out? Even after he was blind, the lust was still in his mind and in his heart. So he isn't telling us to be literal, but he's putting a seriousness to this conversation that I think it's important for us to understand and for you guys, and for, you know, across the board as a nation and around the world, this is a conversation that's just so prevalent. But I want to share some statistics with you guys about focus on the fam- from Focus on the Family in terms of lust and pornography. Uh, for 12 to 17-year-olds, uh, they are the largest group of internet porn users, right? Like of all the groups uh, of people, 12 to 17-year-olds are the largest group of internet porn users. 90% of boys... And 70% of girls younger than 18 admit to having seen pornography uh, within their life. 
32% of teens admit to intentionally seeking out porn pornographic content online regularly. Uh, pornography sites, listen to this, have more traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. You guys hear the frequency in which people are prone to lust? It says teen girls are more likely to seek out pornography than young women that are 25 years or older. 64% of people ages 13 to 24 viewed pornography at least weekly. Right, that's two-thirds of your peers are looking at pornography at least weekly. 49% of young people have seen pornography before the age of 13. I don't know about you guys, but uh, when I hear those statistics now, my heart is heavy, right? I, I'm someone that has worked with uh, man, hundreds, probably if not thousands, of college-age students at this point uh, who kind of dealt with the ramifications of the lust of their hearts and the consequences of that, right? I look at lust sometimes like a, an interwined spider web, right? As, as it kind of progresses and goes on, it just starts branching out and branches out and branches out, and it begins to corrupt so many areas of our lives, right? And, and it begins to allow us and our hearts and minds to, to feel darkened and, and saddened and hopeless, right? And that's the story that I had at, at different points within my life when it came to lust and, and pornography and, uh, you know, uh, sexual immorality, and there's a call within our lives to be different, uh, but that's hard, right? The, the call to be different is hard. Why? Because we live in a sinful, fallen world, right? And even though if you confess Christ as your Savior, you have a, uh, you know, a Savior who has redeemed you from the sinful, fallen world, we still live in it, and we have this uh, sinful, fallen flesh, right? Even though internally we've been renewed, and now the guy who was, you know, uh, for us, and the prince of the power of the air, Satan, when we become believers, he becomes against us, right? And he's working with all of his might to get us to stumble and to trip up. And the fact of the matter is it's not very hard anymore because this access for lust and pornography and sexual immorality is literally at our fingertips at every given moment. But I want to challenge you guys here today that this is a fight that is worth fighting, and it's a fight that is worth fighting today. It's a fight that is worth fighting right now. I want to share one more passage with you guys before we get into some practical strategy behind this to really kind of settle the severity of the conversation that we're having today. Because I think it's kind of crazy, but within as time has gone on and pornography has become more frequent and, and accessible, there's this casualness that's come with lust and pornography and sexual immorality in our lives. Like it's just something that like, oh yeah, we struggle with that. And like we're okay with that, right? But Jesus says if your right hand causes you to sin, what should we do? Cut it off. If your eyes cause you to sin, gouge it out. He's, he's bringing a severity and understanding there that, man, this, this sin, it affects us and it affects us deeply, right? Corinthians tells us actually that sexual immorality right? Every other sin affects us differently, but sexual immorality, we sin against our own bodies. And from the people that I've counseled and the conversations that I've had when sexual immorality and lust, you know, ultimately come forth, uh, it leads people feeling unsocial, right? It, it strips the joy out of their life. It has so many consequences. I was talking about before with the spiderweb, but I want to read one more passage with you guys before I get into that too much, just helping us understand the severity of it. So we're going to look at Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. Uh, we're in First Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord that as you receive from us how you ought to walk to please God, just as you are doing now, that you do so more and more. 
For you know the instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality and that each one of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. Not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger in all things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but for holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So I think it's important there that we, we step back and we look at the language that he's using again here, right? Paul, as he's prompted by the Holy Spirit, as he's writing to the church in Thessalonica, he uses a couple terms that at any time you guys hear these in Scripture, you should pause, write them down, memorize them, think about them, talk about them with your friend, right? And what are those things? He says, verse 3, for this is the will of God, right, for you in your life. If at any point in Scripture you see something that says, for this is the will of God, this is God's will for you in your life, that's the point where I should be like, hold up, okay, let me pay attention, let me dig in. Even if I was half-heartedly reading this, even if I was casually passing this over or checking a box for that day, whatever I was doing right now, I need to stop and listen to what comes next. Right? Because this is important, right? Because when we're in the will of God in our lives, do you know the things that naturally overflow from that? The things are the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, gentleness. The things that literally help us find, feel and find purpose in life as the Holy Spirit moves and works through us flow through us best when we walk in the very will of God for our lives, right? So as we see this in Scripture, and it's in there in a variety of places, and I would challenge you, like, if you want to do a word study, or we used to have these things called concordances back in my day. Now you can just Google uh, verses with will of God for you in your life. I would go and check that out. But for today, let's just look at what it says. It says, this is for your sanctification. What is sanctification? Right, That's becoming more like Jesus, being more conformed in the image of his Son. And then he says specifically, he gets more specific. So sanctification is a broad term. So the will of God for your life is broad and he wants you to become and look more like Jesus. But specific to what he's talking about in this passage, he says that you abstain from sexual immorality. And he says and that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Now, I think that's where we kind of are at today with the rubber meets the road, and we're saying, okay, yeah, I know that I should be fighting lust in my life. Like most of you in here, I would imagine that this is probably a regular and consistent battle that you face, if we're being honest. Um, maybe some of you do not, but for the most part, that's across the board. Those statistics kind of tell us that, right? Uh, but I think this is where the rubber really meets the road, is because we need to learn, right? We need to grow in an understanding of how to control our own bodies, and this isn't a like here today, gone tomorrow type of journey, right? This is something that over the course of a lifetime, we really learn how to fine tune controlling our bodies and controlling lust. And it's so important, right, to have this conversation now and to take it seriously now because I cannot tell you how many people I have counseled. Uh, I w worked at a, a university and got to uh, kind of do some like campus pastoring uh, for eight years. And I can't tell you how many conversations I had with young college students that said, I wish I would have took this more serious when it first started. I wish I would have took this more serious when I was in high school. I wish I would have listened to the things that my youth pastors and pastors would have said to me then. Why? Because it's like that spider web that just grows and grows and grows, right? And now even where I'm at today, right, getting to counsel older men, 
I'm getting to hear, man, I wish I would have took this serious back in the day. I wish I would have took this serious, right? Or, or, or been more intentional in this way or, or had greater accountability uh, back then. So I, I want you guys to hear this. And as I kind of stress this, I think it's important, right, that, that we know and understand that this is something that, that God desires so fervent for, your, for our life. And what he desires for our life are, are good things. Like this is the best thing for us, right, is to walk in sexuality and, and, and desires in the way that God has intended us to. But I want to look at one thing in this passage, and then we'll kind of start jumping into some practical stuff to, to fight lust in our lives, which this is technically practical too. Look at verse 5, right? So he calls us uh, to walk in the will of God, our sanctification, to abstain and to know how to control our bodies. But then in verse 5, he says, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So right there in that verse 6, what do we see? We see that our greatest lust-fighting tool that we have in our capacities is the knowledge of God, right? Apart from God, for those who do not know God, they are given over to their lustful desires and they have no real tools or resources to really fight off this lust within their life, right? But we, we know God, we, we know the truth, and the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave now dwells inside of us, right? And we have that seal and we have that knowledge of God, right? And that knowledge of God should propel us, you know, to help fight against this. And this is kind of where I want to sit for a minute, right? Uh, because this knowledge of God is so important to us within our lives. Like, I, I've counseled hundreds of, uh, of college students, if not thousands at this point. I, I've lost track of how many times I've had this conversation about lust and pornography. But the thing that I've found is that there are no, no plans or schemes that we will make that will make us successful in fighting against lust and sexual immorality. Right? Like, we can't just say, all right, I'm going to change some things on my phone, and then I'm never going to look at pornography again. Right? We can't say, I'm going to start this accountability group, and I'm never going to look at pornography again. Because the only way that those have any type of effectiveness is if Christ is seated at the very center of our hearts and our lives. So if this is something you're saying, I struggle with this, I recognize the severity of it, ground zero for, for kicking this off and, and working through this is you reflecting on your life and saying, what is the very center of my life? Is the very center of my life me, my wants, my desires? Or is Christ the very center of my life and the very center of my heart? Because I will tell you, if Christ is not the very center of your life and the very center of your heart, you will not have success or consistent, sustainable success in battling lust. He has to have that supremacy, right? That exaltation in our heart and our lives. And our chief desire should be to glorify him in and through our actions and in and through our lives. Otherwise, the things that we're going to talk about and all the battle plans and the schemes and all those things, they're not going to work, right? That has to be the foundation. Christ has to be the very center of our hearts and lives. Why? Because we need to, to a degree, change our desires. James chapter 1 tells us that we are tempted and lured away by our own desires, right? The, the things that kind of naturally overflow from us. And when these desires give forth, it brings forth sin. And when sin comes forth, it brings forth death. This is a fishing lure analogy, right? 
Like if you have ever been fishing before, uh, you throw a lure out and a fish sees that, and the desire for that lure or for that quick meal looks really good to them, right? And eventually as they think about that, the next thing you know, they're going to bite. Uh, and if you're a really good fisherman, you're getting bites all the time, right? Uh, but that's the analogy that we see here in James chapter 1, right? The sinful nature is present within us. Right? And we will naturally be prone to, if we're living selfishly, living for ourselves, if we are the very center of our lives, we're going to naturally be prone to giving in to our lustful desires, our lustful wants and needs. But if we are fighting right, for Christ to be the very center of our hearts and lives, then those desires are going to be to please him and to glorify him. Now, this is a process. I want to reiterate this again today because this isn't a thing that's here today, gone tomorrow. I've been meeting and talking with guys who have been battling lust and pornography and sexual immorality for, for tens, tens, I don't know if that's the right word, tens of years, a decade, two decades. Um, it's consistent, but they're fighting it, right? They're picking up their bootstraps and, and they're fighting it, and that's what's important. But I want to get back to this one part, and then we're going to go into this last part anthem for the last 10 minutes here, right? Uh, there's something that I thought really changed the game when it came to uh, fighting lust and, and uh, you know, really battling lust that is present within my heart. And that was having Christ at the very center of my life, but also recognizing the fruit that overflows from that, right? So often we think of the negatives that overflow from sexual immorality, lust, pornography, all these types of things, and, and we think about, oh, I don't want to fall into that trap, right? Like, I don't want to uh, get a reputation. I don't want to get caught by my parents. I don't want to end up getting pregnant or having a child or, you know, whoever knows what it might be. We always think of these negative things. But what really changed the game was, for me, understanding the, the opposite of that, the positive that takes place, right? There's a verse in Matthew chapter 5, just a little bit earlier from what we read with the Sermon on the Mount, where he, Jesus says that the pure in heart will see God. And I want to read this quote to you guys about this guy who was a pastor who, when he discovered this, it kind of flipped a switch for him. And he was a 30-year-old pastor at this point. Um, this guy's name is Maurice. Uh, and he admitted how the plague of guilt had not freed him from lust. And he concluded that there is no one, power, no one powerful reason to seek purity uh, that one Christ gives in the Beatitudes. There is one thing, one reason to seek purity that he gives in the Beatitudes. And it's this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The unnamed pastor writes, The thought hit me like a bell that rung in the dark. Silent hall. So far, none of the scary negative arguments against lust had succeeded in keeping me from it. But here was a description of what I was missing by continuing to harbor lust. I was limiting my own intimacy with God. The love he offers is so transcendent and so possessing that it requires our faculties to be purified and cleansed before we can possibly contain it. Could he, in fact, substitute another thirst and another hunger for the one I have never filled? Would living water somehow quench this lust? That was the gamble of faith. And I love that this pa pastor, you know, as he's in his 30s, came to this conclusion finally in his life. The first thing that really helped him find freedom was that he was missing out, right, on this intimate, deep walk with the Lord, some of the blessings that overflowed from him because he was allowing lust to continually just work and move in his heart and in his life. And he saw this verse in the Beatitudes that called him to have purity in heart, right? right? Because the overflow from that purity in heart is seeing and knowing and understanding God in all of his fullness. I got to go on a, a, a vacation a couple years ago, 
and I went to uh, this place called Zion. Anybody ever been out there? Okay, hands down the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life. Um, been kind of around the world a little bit with travels and vacations and things like that. And this place, Zion, was just absolutely beautiful. And I was sitting on this bus and literally like breathtakingly looking at these canyons and having a conversation with this person next to me, uh, which turned into a conversation about heaven. Um, and they basically were like, how are we going to have, like, what are we going to be doing? I don't want to just have a worship service for all of eternity in heaven. And as I was having this conversation, uh, the Lord, like, just stuck this thought with me in that moment. Because this person was limiting what they thought heaven was going to be, and they were also limiting their understanding of God. And in that moment, as I looked around in Zion, I asked this person sitting next to me, I said, you, you see the beauty of this park, right? How many days slash weeks or months could you spend exploring the beauty of this park, of this place? And he was like, I don't know. Like, I could probably be here for months and still there'd be more to see, right? There'd be more to do. There'd be more to uncover. And I was like, okay, now let's take that and let's think about the creator who ex nihilo, right? Ex nihilo means out of nothing, spoke this into existence, right? How long could you take exploring the depths of, of who he is, right, of, of his beauty, right, like the creator who knows and speaks everything we know and see around us, like we could spend eternities, what feels like eternities, right, if, if it were such a thing, exploring the earth and all of its beauties and all of its natural wonders and all of these things. Now imagine the God, the creator of the universe, the one that just simply spoke those things into existence. That is the creator that the pure at heart get to see and know in a greater and deeper way than those who are entrenched in sexual sin. And that should motivate us, right? Like understanding who God is, right? And the love that he has for us and just his breathtaking, uh, limitless and, and, and uh, unsearchable beauty, right? That we can begin to, to know somewhat here on earth and how, as Matthew chapter five tells us, by being pure in heart, for they shall see God. That should be a motivator for us, right? It should be something that, that calls and prompts us, not just with the severity of the scriptures, but recognizing the fruit that overflows from a, a relationship that's walking rightly before the Lord is a, a deepening understanding and relationship and knowledge of who God is and what he has done. So there's a lot at stake, a lot of opportunity, uh, a, a lot of uh, you know, good and bad outcomes of, of, of the choices that we make when it comes to this area of lust. It's something that's very prevalent in our lives. But what I want to do for the last five to ten minutes here is go over this thing here called Anthem. So Anthem is not written by me. It's actually written by someone named John Piper. Um, it is an acronym that uh, is intended to be tools or tactics that we begin to use to fight against lust. And I wanted to print these out and give them in your hands because I thought this was actually a really good resource, right? If we're being honest, I've talked about this today, that lust is difficult, right? Lust consistently comes at us in our hearts and our lives, and uh, it's one of those things that we got to pick up our bootstraps every day, and we got to fight against it, right? we got to really work against it. And if Christ is the center of our hearts, then our hearts are oriented in the right direction, uh, then we're ready to go to war. We're ready to go to battle with whatever lustful uh, thoughts or intentions or, or opportunities may come our way. So this is Anthem. It's really good. Uh, I think that you guys, it would be good for you to kind of think on this, meditate on this, have conversations with your friends about this. Uh, but here are specifically uh, what are, I guess, six tactics 
for fighting against lust in our life. The first one is avoid. Avoid as much as possible or reasonable, right? You want to avoid everything that you can. There's a, a passage in Proverbs that says, do not be misled, right? Bad company corrupts good character. We want to avoid situations that we're going to be put in that may lead us to being lustful, right? Another passage in 2 Timothy talks about the call that we have to flee, right, to run from. Like I think of uh, Joseph and Potiphar and the story in Genesis, right, when Potiphar's wife grabs Joseph and she says, come to bed with me, what does Joseph do? He takes up sprinting right out of that place, right? So much so that he runs out of his coat, running away, right? This is the type of tenacity that we're talking about when we're saying we recognize sexual sin, right? We recognize the, 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 the disastrous consequences of it in our hearts and in our lives, right? And we recognize that we want to be pure in heart. We want to see and know and experience God in greater ways. And he is the thing we're living for. So we are going to do all that we can to avoid lust and sexual sin within our lives. All right, so that's the A, avoid, avoid it. N, no, say no to every lustful thought that comes your way and say it boldly and with the authority of Jesus Christ, right? In the name of Jesus, no lust, right? You don't have much more than a few seconds. So I thought this was really fascinating as I was doing a little bit of research here. Uh, and there's this premise of taking your thoughts captive for Christ, and there's a study that you have about five seconds to move your mind off or away from a thought or intention before it begins to kind of spiral. So the call here would be say no to those thoughts within the first five seconds, right? So as those lustful thoughts or intentions come in, you've got five seconds right, to take that thought captive for Christ before internally you'll begin to spiral in your thoughts and then those thoughts can lead to action, right? So we say no to these things. We boldly proclaim no in the name of Christ, right? There's a quote here that I like. It's by John Owen. It says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Strike fast and strike hard. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So that's it. We got avoid, no. The T is turn, Turn your mind forcefully towards Christ as a superior satisfaction. Saying no will not suffice. You must move from defense to offense, right? As these thoughts and patterns come in our lives and we have these lustful thoughts, we have to learn to move our thoughts and intentions from that lust and to Christ as a superior satisfaction. So the way that I would... Uh, I kind of patterned my life to turning was in college when I found myself really wanting to battle lust and battle pornography in my life. I uh, took note cards, three by five cards, and I would write Bible verses on them. And when I would write those Bible verses, I would actually uh, really, uh, I guess, ghettoly tape them on here with a three by five card. So every time that I went to look at my phone, I disciplined myself so that I would read that Bible verse before I would actually look at my phone. So literally, by the end of the day, I have read that verse hundreds of times because I looked at my phone all the times, right? But the beautiful thing about that was, by the end of the day, I had that verse memorized, right? And by the end of the second day, I didn't have to read the verse. I could just look at it. I could say it in my head. And then I found that as lustful opportunities came my way, when my mind would be moved towards lust, do you know what immediately flooded in? That scripture that I had been memorizing. And it turned my thought from this lustful intention and it turned it back towards Christ, right? I remember specifically uh, there was one of Job, uh, Job 31.1, which says, I have made a covenant with God not to look lustfully 
uh, after a young woman, right? And I worked on a college campus, and, and when it got warm, uh, you know, people just kind of dressed with more skin. And I can specifically remember God, like, sanctifying my heart during that time. And I, it was beautiful with this verse as, as I would see things where I might be naturally prone to take a double glance. This verse would flood into my mind, and I'd find myself looking away, right, and looking towards Christ. So we have to turn to a superior satisfaction, right? We've got to find satisfaction in Christ and in his word, right, and in who he is. So that's turn. The H is hold, right? Hold the promise and pleasure of Christ firmly in your mind until the image is out. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Here is why many fail. They give too quickly in. They say, I tried to push it out, and it didn't work. And I ask, how long did you try? A minute, five, or ten? How long did you make an attempt? There's a beautiful analogy that goes along with this when you think of uh, a garage door, right? And if you saw a child or someone that was ready to be pinned by a garage door, they're saying, how long would you hold that door? You would say, as long as it takes, right? As long as it takes to get that child free or that individual free, I'd do everything in my power to make sure, right, that they were safe. And in the same way, we need to hold those thoughts and patterns in our lives for however long it takes. If it takes a week of putting it on your phone, right? If it takes a month, if it takes a year, whatever it is, we're willing to hold on, right, and hold these things in our lives. So that's the hold. E, enjoy. We talked about this a little bit. Enjoy a superior satisfaction. Cultivate capacities for pleasure in Christ, right? One of the reasons lust remains in so many is that uh, Christ has so little appeal, We default to deceit because we have little delight in Christ. That kind of delighting just isn't me, is a quote. Uh, What steps have you taken to waken your affection for Jesus? Learn to enjoy and be satisfied in Christ. How does this come? Through cultivating a time, right, where you're getting to know Christ and spending time in his word and spending time in prayer. So learn to enjoy Christ. The last one is to move Move into useful activities, right? Idleness, uh, they say, is the devil's playground. Uh, John Piper actually used an analogy in this when I was listening to a, a little sermonette on this particular passage. And he was talking about how when he was a kid and his parents were gone, that his lustful thoughts, intentions, and patterns would just spiral because he could, knew he could absolutely run rampant, right? But what he found was when his parents were there or when he was in useful activities or things that were serving and glorifying to the Lord, lust would kind of fade away. And I can tell you that's a pattern that I've seen in my life, right? So we need to be intentional to move into useful activities, like opportunities to serve here at your church, serve at your school, anything that you can do, right, to glorify God with what he has given you. Um, so to move into useful activities. Now I'll give you this, again, as just a practical guide to fighting and battling lust within your life. I know it's a real deal, a real thing that you guys battle with each and every day. The statistics showed us that. Christ puts a level of severity for us to really take this serious, right? Like the language that's used there is calling us to action. It's calling us to really fight against this, right? And we have Christ, his spirit, and his word that has equipped us, right, to really battle this within our life. So I would challenge you guys with this anthem, um, take it, read it, think about it, have conversations with it. Uh, I think that probably many of you today, uh, one, are either annoyed that I'm still talking, or two, you're thinking, okay, yeah, this is something that I need to do in my life. But if you do not make a plan, and you don't intentionally pattern your life before you walk out these doors here today, then things are just going to remain the same. And I, my prayer is I don't want anybody to be coming into the office of any of the pastors five, ten years from now saying, 
man, I wish I would have took this more serious when I was in high school. I wish I would have listened, you know, to the pastors and the things that they were saying then because I didn't realize how this can spiral in my life. Let me pray for you guys. Father, we're thankful for this morning, thankful for the time that we have uh, to talk about uh, your word, to talk about lust. God, this is a big and heavy topic, and uh, really today we didn't even get into scratching the surface. We tried to do an overview of, of the consequences of lust in our life, Lord, and uh, the practical tools for, for fighting lust in our lives. And Lord, we use this thing, Anthem. Uh, we pray that it would help uh, maybe some in here struggling with lust, God, that they would help to lead and move them away from the lust that has uh, captivated their hearts and their lives, Lord, and that they would begin uh, to really just turn to you as the superior satisfaction, God, that you would have the primary seat in their hearts, Lord, and lead and guide them uh, to battle lust with everything that they have, God, and to pull their brothers and sisters along with them as they fight for your purity, God, and fight to, to see and know and understand more of you, God, recognizing that that is far greater than anything that we could ever experience uh, in and through uh, lust and, and sexual immorality, Father. And we pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. I think that's all we got for today.